Hello everyone and welcome back to The Burning Case, the podcast where we dive headfirst into the burning issues shaping our world and explore how policymaking and radical democracy are essential to make sure that our future is not only green, but also fair and inclusive. I'm Chloe and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Melissa. Together, we're your friendly and fiercey guides on this journey through the crossroads of the crisis we're facing, EU politics and how your voice has the power to create change. Whether you're a seasoned activist, a curious learner or a skeptical bystander, consider this your invitation to join the conversation. So this is The Burning Case, where dialogue fuels progress and your voice shapes tomorrow. So hello everyone and welcome back to a new season. We are very excited and today's episode is actually a little bit of a different one because it's going to be Melissa and I talking. Hello. Hi Chloe. Hi everyone. (laughs) How was your summer? It was nice actually. I mean obviously if you just ignore all the terrible news that's happened it was pretty chill. Which will give you a summary in a second. Um, But yeah we're very very happy and in today's episode it's going to be a short one actually and we are going to give you a little bit of a recap of the main things that happened over the summer and tell you what's coming up because there's loads happening in the next few months in Europe. Notably because it's an election year but not only there's also some very important policies that are hopefully going to wrapped up so yeah this is the aim of today can we do it in 15 minutes let's do it (laughs) so we'll start with some of the news that you might have missed during summer melissa you're first thank you so i'm gonna start with the very interesting weather we had over the summer you're gonna be the weather lady i'm gonna be the weather lady yay (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna talk about the scorching temperatures and wildfires yet again we had over the summer Uh, NASA clocks that July 2023 was the hottest month on records ever since 1880 and hottest in around 120,000 years, according to scientists. Mm. And this has led to extreme weather events, notably in Europe, Mm. Uh, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Slovenia, the Czech Republic and Georgia are just some of the countries which have been hit by torrential rain and flash floods in recent weeks and months. Slovenia was battered by a month's worth of rain in just 24 hours. It caused three deaths and an estimated 500 million worth of damage. Record temperatures across the continent have led to a breakout of wildfires from central Portugal to Athens. Heat waves have set new temperature records on land and sea and seen many countries issue alerts for dangerously high temperatures. In Greece, 18 suspected migrants were found dead in a forest fire near Mm. the Turkish border, north of the city of Alexandropolis. Two children were among them, a police official. Yeah, which definitely highlights how linked all the crises are and how climate breakdown is going to affect first and foremost um, migrants and climate refugees. But you've probably noticed, especially if you've been in Brussels this summer, there has also been a lot of rain and cold in July. And this has led a lot of people to spread the idea that there's no climate breakdown. Because to them, of course, there's no difference between climate and weather. So for the people in the back, once again, (laughs) weather and climate are two different things. Weather is what conditions of the atmosphere are over a short period of time. So that's when you essentially check your iPhone and it tells you that it's going to rain in two hours or tomorrow. And climate is how the atmosphere behaves over relatively long periods of time. So when we talk about climate change, we talk about change in long term averages of daily temperature. But for a lot of climate denying, especially on social media, and we'll talk about this in a second, this is literally blessed content because they can question 
everything. everything. I mean, yeah. not that they needed another excuse no. to question everything. But yeah, it's been it's been very difficult trying to deal with this on, on social media, um, especially in countries which haven't experienced that much heat over the summer. But something else big that happened over the summer and in July particularly was the nature restoration law fight at EU level. So we've been talking a little bit about the nature restoration law on the podcast, but just as a reminder, it was a proposal to restore Europe's nature because Europe's nature is heavily degraded. And there's been a gigantic fight around this proposal, which actually wasn't even a fight about whether we should restore nature at the end of the day. It was a political fight between the conservatives that were trying to push an alliance with the far right um, to kill the law and the progressives, which were trying to pass the law. And so what happened is that we went to Strasbourg, actually, yours truly went to Strasbourg with a bunch of other youth activists from around Europe. And we joined forces with civil society, notably, and we went to a lot of MEPs and we asked them to vote for the law. And I would be very happy actually to tell that story on a different episode because this was insane. Like I've experienced lie and like political maneuvers and it's, oh, it was insane. But there was a lot of drama and gossip, which was also kind of fun. Yeah, drama and gossip. It was definitely a gossip girl um, at the EU level, which I've never experienced. But anyway, final outcome is that the law passed. So the law was adopted, nature restoration law. However, the content was very much weakened in the process. So we'll talk about this in a minute, but it essentially means that the next steps, which is the trilogue, is going to be all about trying to raise again the ambition of the law and make sure that it's not just an empty shell. What else happened in July? Spain. Spain. So on the 23rd of July, voters in Spain went to the polls for a snap general election, which was called by the socialist prime minister, Pedro Sanchez. Oh, Pedro. (laughs) Gotta love Pedro. (laughs) The right wing bloc, which was expected to win, only secured 169 seats, whereas the left wing bloc won 153 seats, both falling far from an absolute majority. Yep. The leader of Spain's populist party, which is the conservative party, Alberto Núñez Feijó, claimed victory in the snap vote, but is unable to form a majority, even with the support of the far right. Yeah, so I think for me, the way I saw it is not just a national election, but it was sort of the kickstart mm. of election year in Europe. And there's mm-hmm. going to be so many elections in the next few years. It's kind of like a barometer. Exactly. And the fact that really all the polls were giving this alliance between the conservatives and the far rights winning on this, and that it eventually didn't, and they weren't mm. able to secure government, I think this is such a positive sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really sends a strong signal to other countries and to other possible alliance between conservatives and the far right that we're seeing, um, that it's not going to be that easy and that it's going to be a fight. But it also kind of echoes what happened with the nature restoration law, because you were saying it was not only about the content itself, but also about the alliances where there again, uh, right and far right failed. Absolutely. Let's hang on to every bit of hope. (laughs) Exactly. Every bit of hope. And actually, the next news is also a very positive one. And it's about deep sea mining. Um, If you don't know what deep sea mining is, we have an episode that was recorded about this, um, which is very comprehensive. But essentially, in July, countries that are part of the International Seabed Authority gathered in Kingston, Jamaica, to decide whether or not to give the go-ahead to mining the deep sea to find 
metals. Um, so metals that include copper and others that they claim are essential to power the green transition, the energy transition. And it was intense. It like I was really receiving was. reports from activists who were there and the negotiations mm -hmm. were super intense and the activists were actually getting pressured as well uh, not to share any news, not to take any photographs during the negotiations. And the really, really good news is that the conference ended with no green light to start industrial scale mining, um, which was might have started as soon as this year, if it was given the green light. And 21 countries have now officially positioned themselves in favor of a moratorium, thanks to the amazing work in different countries mm -hmm. of activists and civil society. Um, it's definitely not the end. Deep sea mining can still happen mm -hmm. in the future. And I'm specific specifically looking at you, Norway. So we'll still need tons of action and pressure, but it was definitely some much needed good news for the oceans, for the climates. And now one of our favorite conversations between the two of us, social media and more specifically Twitter. Oh my God. And it's fabulous rebranding actually you should say x now oh yeah right x content <laughs> which which definitely sparks a whole conversation about i'm posting content on x anyway oh, anyway okay. That's um, a whole other episode that's to a itself. Whole, a whole other episode to itself. Um, yeah. So for those of you, I'll still call it Twitter um, for the remaining yeah. time. But for those of you who are on Twitter, we would love to hear what you're currently experiencing. Because since our dear, not so dear, Elon Musk took charge, it's been going bananas. It's been going absolutely crazy. He changed the algorithm. He essentially canceled moderation. And the level of hate that is currently being experienced by people who talk about progressive uh, politics and progressive issues on Twitter is insane. There's actually been a recent study that has shown that Twitter's new algorithm amplifies more emotionally charged tweets than ever before, especially those that trigger anger and animosity. And I am not surprised because I could talk from my experience and it's never been that bad, the amount of hate that we're getting. And specifically on climate, a new study has found that half of people regularly tweeting about the climate and nature crisis abandoned Twitter after it was taken over by Musk. And reports have found rising climate change, disinformation and misinformation on the platform and a drastic increase in hate speech. And that essentially has led to a lot of scientists and activists leaving the platform. The numbers are insane when you look at them. It's 380,000 users who tweeted regularly about global heating and biodiversity. 47.5% had become inactive six months after the final takeover. It's insane from so many perspectives, yeah. uh, from a freedom of speech perspective, mm -hmm. from just a respect perspective. I know people who are literally depressed because of all the hate that they're getting mm -hmm. and the amazing and super important work that they're trying to do on social media to inform people about what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. They can't do it anymore. They don't want to do it anymore. And they're leaving the platform because they have to protect their mental health. Yeah. Which should be a priority. But like, do you see some kind of alternative emerging? I mean, there was the whole threads. Uh... There's threads, there's Mastodon. I know a lot of people are going to Mastodon. Um, I think we'll have to see what happens in the next few months. But I think this is definitely an issue that the EU should look into. Um, because... But do they really have the power to control what Elon Musk is doing? I mean, uh, they, I mean, they do with the Digital Service Act and we'll do a whole episode sure, on this one. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think they do and they can and they have to because this is, this is insane. A lot of these accounts that spread hate and misinformation, a lot of them are trolls and bots. Yeah. They're not even real people. So that's a whole another conversation about the geopolitical implication mm. of what is being shared on social media today. Yeah, but the issue is, is that, you know, all the institutions rely themselves on Twitter True. to 
to do their own communication. So it's such a tricky topic. Okay, I'm going to make a shitty joke, but can we now say that the commission is an ex-content creator? <laughs> we can. We definitely can. Look at you turning into a dad joke. Moving on. <laughs> so as you might have guessed, this season will look a little bit different on The Burning Case. Obviously, we'll still have amazing expert guests on a lot of different issues, but we will do specific series on different topics. And one of them will actually be how to finance the transition, which... I'm really, really excited about and we have some amazing people lined up for this. Yeah, absolutely. Because in case you didn't know, just to give you a sneak peek, um, a study has found that only four countries in Europe today are able to finance the Paris Agreement goals. So where does the rest of the money can come from? Where does, should it come from? This is going to be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about it myself yeah. and to share it with everybody. Yeah, and then the following series will be, you probably guessed it, on the EU elections. But, dun, dun, dun. but we're going to try to bring that to you in a non-boring format. Oh, <laughs> dreams. <laughs> how to talk about politics without making it boring and how to talk about EU politics without making it boring. I think this is going to be the main challenge for us. And so we're definitely open to your feedback yeah. and your suggestion. Um, anything you want to tell us, anything you'd like to hear, we're super open to it. But we're definitely going to try to bring you some relevance and information that you find useful um, to make your choice in May, June next year. Yeah. And we will also, of course, be bringing you the big pieces of policy this year. As Chloe mentioned earlier, the nature restoration law trilogues, but we'll also be discussing due diligence further, as well as EU-Mercosur trade agreements, as well as industrial strategy, raw materials, fiscal reform. We have a huge list of interesting things to discuss and yeah. we're really excited. Yeah, we're very excited to bring this information to you because more than ever, and we just discussed it with the whole X slash Twitter situation, I will never get over that joke. There's a lot of this misinformation going around. There will be probably more and more, especially in the heads up to the EU election. So our mission is to bring you understandable and relevant information. As well as tools. To, to get involved. Yeah. yeah, and still tools to get involved in campaign, participate, make your voice heard at the EU level, because this ne these next few months are going to be absolutely critical and the EU elections are going to be very important as well for our future. Yep. And also just on a general note, please don't hesitate to share your feedback with us. Uh, we are a non-funded project for the moment and it's a passion project. So whatever feedback you can give us or if you could just take a few seconds to rate, it would be really, really amazing. Yeah, it would mean the world to us. So, so yeah, let's get started for a new season of The Burning Case. And thank you so much all for still being around and listening to us and today's rant. Yep. So Have see you around. <laughs>